Let me pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to meet together, even though we're at a distance. Uh, we are united by your spirit. Uh, we're united by the fact that you are the eternal God, and we're united by the fact that you are the one in whom we put our hope. Lord, as we come here today and set aside the stressors of the previous week, I pray that we be able to focus on you, hear your word, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but doers as well. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Remember sports? Really, do you remember sports? I haven't seen sports live in a long, long time. And I have to tell you, just getting started here, I miss sports. You can go on television or the media and you can watch sports, but it's sports that have already been played by and large. They're starting to play soccer matches in Germany in front of stadiums with no fans. I realize that. But really the sports that we love here in, in the States in terms of uh, what's traditionally ours, it's just not happening. So I had up to a few days ago refused to watch any sports that have been played before. What's the point of watching a game where you know the result of it? It's just, it just isn't the same. Uh, I have to confess that I did watch the uh, 2009 playoff series between the Magic and the Celtics. I think it was the last uh, playoff series that the Magic won. That's 2009. It's been, a, it's been a pretty slow period since then, over a decade. But I watched that. That was okay. But one thing I was a little more interested in, I remembered the last Super Bowl, I really enjoyed the last Super Bowl. Usually I'm not all that into Super Bowl if my team doesn't make it and they seldom do, but it was the San Francisco 49ers against the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was a, it was a really interesting matchup. They're pretty equal teams. Uh, they thought it would be a good game and it really was. So I watched uh, the repeat of that game as well, at least the highlights of it. And as I was going through the highlights, I, I, the game, came into focus. It was a 10-10 tie after the first half. It was very closely fought. But then uh, third quarter, San Francisco dominated the Chiefs. In fact, they dominated the Chiefs through, through that third quarter and the first half of the fourth quarter. I'm, uh, Kansas City couldn't do anything right. San Francisco scored 10 unanswered points. It was 20 to 10. And uh, I, was, I was watching this and then I, I had this thought. Uh, as I remembered really what the outcome of the game was, uh, it's not how you begin the game, it's how you finish the game. It's how you end and whether or not it ends well. We've been holed up through this coronavirus disruption and uh, I have had times where I will get up and I will ask myself the question, what am I going to do today? been able to work remotely, but still, there's a lot more time that's free. I, I think about questions like, what are my priorities? And then it evolves into more philosophical questions like, am I becoming what I was meant to be? Am I achieving what I'm meant to achieve? Will I ever arrive at the goals that I've set for myself? What are the goals now that I'm setting for myself now that my life has been disrupted? Why am I here? What should we do? Where are we going? How should we then live? How do I live through this time effectively? So we're in a series called Pain Well Spent. And last week we talked through the first part of the section that we're looking at in Philippians chapter three, verses seven through 11. And I wanna read those to you. And then I'd like to read the passage for today. And uh, it's, it's a continuation of Paul's thoughts. 
beginning with Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And last week, we concentrated on these two verses uh, more closely. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation or the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on to complete his, his thinking with these three verses that we're going to focus on today, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already attained, obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. So Paul has described earlier in this chapter a radical change that took place in his life. All he held dear uh, was, was and determined was important in his life had been discarded. In fact, he even calls it garbage. Paul had a great resume in, in, in terms of being a Pharisee and, and one that was very zealous. He had impeccable credentials as, as a Jewish leader. But he says now he considers it garbage. Garbage is something that's not just thrown out. It's something that we remove as far away from us as we can. Paul says, not only am I not taking uh, that into account any longer, I'm removing that as far away from me as I can. He reminds us that we cannot put confidence in the flesh, what we can do on our own. All his gain was loss, and all that led him to gain, the power of Christ's resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, what we talked about last week. You know, one thing I'm reminded of as I grow older is I, I can't do the things physically that I, that I did uh, earlier on in my life. I remember I loved to play basketball. Basketball was, was a sport that I, I enjoyed all the way through my teens and 20s and 30s, even into my 40s. But I remember a, a church league game I was playing, and, and I remember this one particular time that I went up for a jump shot, and I didn't go up, and it was, it was startling to me. Because in my mind, I thought I could do something, but my body wasn't cooperating. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I can do this anymore because what I thought I could do, I no longer had. I couldn't put confidence in my flesh. Spiritually, it's the same way. We can't put confidence in our own efforts. And Paul reminds us of this. Now he answers the why are we here question. So what's the point of all this? What, what's the point of... Christ's uh, resurrection power and, and joining with him in his sufferings. What, what does that even mean? What, what's, what's the purpose of our lives and how do we really live out that purpose? So in this passage that we just read, he, he talks about the goal. He, he, he says these words, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on. What is, what is that? What did, what did Jesus take hold of that Paul was called to embrace as well? 
And I believe it's the call to allow our spiritual resurrection, what we have, this new life in Christ, to lead us to be all God wants us to be. We're just not new creation spiritually, but we are to grow into what God wants us to be. Our our resurrections isn't the culmination of the the journey. It's our ascension, the upward call of God. We're to identify with Christ's life, death, resurrection, but also his ascension. And as this New American Standard translates this upward call of God, is that becomes our lifelong goal, goal, what God wants for you, what he wants for me. So what, what is your goal? What is it that you want to accomplish? Paul gives us the ultimate goal for each of us who who hold a sincere and trusting faith in Christ. So two things that he says that that encourage us on our way, and and both I think are very profound. The first thing that he says is that we forget what lies behind. He says, forgetting what is behind, we're to press on. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he means that we allow the past to be just that, the past. Um, I'm a boomer. I'm still on Facebook. Sorry if that makes makes me not so cool, but I, you know, Facebook is Facebook, and uh, the geniuses at Facebook every so often do this thing that pops up uh, in in my daily thing. They'll 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 say five years ago on this date, or eight years ago on this date, and in February this this pop up came nine years ago on this date, and it, I, I almost can't wait to see the picture. The picture was of me and my newborn granddaughter, Fiona, nine years ago in February. Where did that time go? But, but those memories of the past are wonderful. I, I love revisiting my past when it comes to those kinds of things. See, it's not that Paul didn't remember his past. He did. Remember, he had, he had this stellar resume, but he was also a persecutor of Christians. He actually observed and participated in putting people to death for their faith. And those actions caused him painful memories. Obviously, we all have pasts. And those pasts have shaped us into the people we are today. Uh, I spend a good portion of, of my week examining people's past. What has contributed to them being the people that they are today? What's shaped them and their responses to their present life's circumstances? Now, you can't forget your past in the sense of you deny that it happened. Our past, our past. Paul wasn't denying his past. Paul realized that it was there. So that's not the point. What he emphasizes, I believe, to us through the Spirit in terms of communicating where we need to head is we need to understand and learn from the past, but we cannot live in the past. People that live in the past are prone to repeat the past's mistakes. Years ago, I, I counseled a couple, and um, they were lovely people, but they were going through a really, really difficult time in their relationship. Uh, there were a lot of things done in both parts that were hurtful. Uh, I remember this couple vividly because the husband, every session that he had with his wife, uh, they would come and sit down, and, and then as they sat on the couch, in between them, he would place this uh, cardboard uh, file container, this, you know, those expanding accordion kind of file cords and has the two cardboard dots where you, where you string it to, 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 uh, to seal it, but it, it expanded. It was about this thick and he would place it in the middle. I was curious. I thought, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe there's some things that he wants to cover and, and be reminded of. 
But in the, the, the session that he brought that in, the first one, he at one point in time uh, said they were having a disagreement and he, he went into the file and he says he, he pulled out an email from the past. He, he, he wanted to remind his wife what she'd done in the past and what she'd said. Or subsequent sessions, he'd always bring it in. It was, it was just like, there it was, always between them. He'd, he'd take a receipt out, uh, some money that she'd spent and hadn't told him in it and put them in some financial difficulty. I mean, it was a, it was a collection of wrongs that he had collected over the years. And he just wanted the proof and he just wanted to, to, to remind her and probably also remind me that there's a lot of things in their past that was awful. Uh, I think it was about the fifth session. I, I frankly, uh, I got tired of the, uh, the, that little file system. And as he was reaching in mid, middle of the session, he was reaching in for another thing. And in frustration and probably not my finest hour, but I said, wait a second. I said, give me that file, give it to me. And he looked at me, he was startling. He, he said, do you, you want this? I said, yes. And I think he first thought that maybe I was going to help him by finding some other things in it. But, but as, he, as he reached forward and, and extended that file to me, and I lock, locked my hands on the other side, he didn't let go. It's just, there was, it was just this little file tug of war that we had. And he looked at me and he said, oh, what are you going to do with this file? And I said, I'm going to burn it. Now, I was being dramatic. I wasn't going to burn it, but I did shred every bit of paper and every little notation he had in that file. I did it. I, I did it later on that day. And, and when he released that, I said, there will now long, no longer be that between you. You've got to allow the past to be in the past. Second thing, and, and uh, the last point I think that Paul makes here is he talks about pressing on to win the prize. And you see this passage two times. He says, I press on, I press on. It's the word dioko. It means to run swiftly. It's to, it's to just, it's to really be determined to, to run the race and get to the finish line in, in, in good shape and, and in good stead. He asks us then as we press on to keep our eyes heavenward. Not here on this earth, but heavenward. This is where I fail and fall short on a re fairly regular basis. My problem, and maybe it's yours too, I don't know. I keep substituting my own rewards for the rewards that really matter. God's reward. I call it my little substitute prizes. Uh, a few months ago, I took my car in to be serviced. Um, Mazda 3. It was you know, it, it's a good car and I had very few miles on it, you know, for, for how long I had it. Uh, and uh, uh, my office is near my home. I walked to my office. So there was no need for me to, to think what I was thinking that day. But my, my dealership very cleverly has the waiting area in, in the showroom of the car. And I was looking at new cars and I saw same model, but it was several years newer and a brand new car. And um, I got my existing car, drove home and I told my wife, I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to get a new car. And she looked at me, she says, you don't need a new car. There's no way you should get a new car. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. I said, but you know, I really would, I, I really would like a new car. She said, well, you just don't need a new car. So the next time uh, I went in about a week later, I bought a new car and uh, same model. I brought it home. My wife was very gracious. She said, I know you don't need it. Okay, whatever. I didn't need that car. You know what that was? It was, it was a substitute prize. It was something that I think, okay, this is, this is something that I can, that I can enjoy. 
It's, it's not what God has called me to. Confess to you, I kept the car, but what substitute prizes are you looking for? Are you moving toward? Are you, are, are you putting in your life to, as making that being the goal? What prize are you trying to win? Trying to win it through your financial status, through your relational status, through something that, that the world can give that really just fades away. Paul says we need to keep our eyes heavenward. What does it mean to keep our eyes heavenward? There's another phrase he uses this. He, he, he strains. The, the Greek word means to stretch out just like a runner. I uh, ran the Boston Marathon. It's been almost 40 years since I ran it. And uh, it, was a, uh, it was an experience I'll never forget. Uh, it's the only marathon I've ever run. Before you think I'm more special than I am, back then you could run what they call back of the pack. I didn't qualify. I'd never run a, a race that was timed before. But you could show up, and I was challenged to do it. I showed up, and I, and I ran this race. It took me 15 minutes to cross the starting line at the start of the race. There were that many people there, and it was, it was, it was memorable. There was one point in the race, and um, I read some articles and, and um, heard from some other people. And, and if you know the Boston Marathon, you've heard the phrase Heartbreak Hill, which is actually a series of hills in, in Newton, Massachusetts. Uh, and it happens uh, to be right around between the 17 and 19 mile mark of that race. And when you get to the final, the top of the hill, uh, it's, it's, um, it's an achievement. But man, getting up those hills is hard. The reason is, that's the the, the uh, physicians say is that your body is using up all this energy <clears throat> right around the 19 mile mark. Your body loses its, its, its glycogen and then begins to feed on the, your actual muscles and it becomes very painful after that time. And I experienced that pain that day. Top of the hill, there was a, a policeman there. Congratulations, you made it to the top of Heartbreak Hill. You only have 7.2 miles to go, which I think was really, really upsetting that he would add that phrase at the last part of it because man i was tired and i would tell you what i was in a lot of pain and i i thought i don't want to run one more step but i made a decision to press on i made a decision to keep going paul is in a jail he's chained to two guards he is living in a situation that is absolutely difficult in terms of him being able to to, to have any kind of sense of future or any kind of uh, life direction and goal. What's he going to do with his life? And yet he, sitting in that, that prison, chained to two guards, writes this encouragement to us. And he says, look, I don't need to be out doing what I want to do and free in order to get to a place where I am stretching out, where I am straining toward the prize. I'm pressing on. And as he writes this letter, he reminds us that that really is his and my ultimate goal. And we see elsewhere in the New Testament, it's that crown of glory that, that we will one day receive as we finish the race. Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers, there was a point in that game in the fourth quarter. Seven minutes and 13 seconds left to go. Uh, Kansas City was still being dominated. San Francisco had a dynamite defense. It was third and 15. Uh, if they uh, 
didn't make a first down, it was going to be pretty serious and, and, and probably greatly diminish their chance to, to even come close, let alone win the game. But in that play, uh, Patrick Mahomes dropped back, and just before he was, he was sacked, he released a pass down the left sideline to Tyreek Hill, 45 yards for a first down. And that play, uh, the commentators later on after the game said, probably changed the whole course of the game. It was talked about for like five minutes in, 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 the, in the report that I saw. It was beautifully perf uh, perfected. And just a minute later, 6-13, there was a pa pass to Travis Kelsey in the end zone, and uh, Kansas City closed the gap from 21-10 to 21-17. They stopped the 49ers on the next series, and then uh, another pass, down, this time down the right sideline, 38 yards to Sammy Watkins, and two minutes and 44 seconds to go. Damian Williams caught a pass, and he scampered into the end zone uh, for five yards, and uh, now... Kansas City was ahead, 20, uh, 24 to 21. Stopped again, uh, the, the 49ers, and, and sort of the coup de grace was one minute and 12 seconds left. Damian Williams ran around left end, 38 yards for the final touchdown. Kansas City, who was losing 20 to 10, halfway through the fourth quarter, scored 21 unanswered points and won the game. It's a great game. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. I remember finishing the marathon. It was, um, those last miles were really tough, but I, and, and you're sort of in a daze when you're doing it. But I remember going around a couple corners and I didn't even know I was close to the finish line. Finally, I realized I was, I crossed the finish line. I, 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 I was just so relieved not to have to run another step. And there was an older gentleman, I'm sure he was probably in his late 50s, maybe early 60s, who finished right ahead of me. And as he crossed the finish line and I crossed right behind him, he turned around. Uh, he was shorter than I was. And he just grabbed me, embraced me. And he looked up at me. And I think he almost picked me up off the ground. He says, great race, son. I've never met him before in my life. Well, I've never seen him since, to my knowledge. But it was that, that joy. It was the joy of finishing. And, you know, I think back on that marathon. I don't think about the pain I remember it, but I don't think about that. I remember the joy. It's not the crown you receive, but it's what the crown represents. You finish the race. That's what Paul calls you and me to. It's the upward call. It's the goal that we all have as believers. Zach Van Dyke loves to, to quote Charles Spurgeon and uh, just in, in, in uh, remembering that and, and also just... Um, uh, an affirmation of that great man. I found a prayer that he prayed. I want to close our time with this prayer. I think this sums up a lot of where we've been in this passage, and I think, I think it's beautifully prayed. Here, here it is. Oh God, you know the burdens of every heart before you. The secret sighing of the prisoner comes, comes up into your ear. Some of us are in perplexity. Others are in actual suffering of body. Some are sorely cast down in themselves and others deeply afflicted with the trials of those that they love. But as for all these burdens, our souls would cast them on you, Lord. In quietness and confidence shall be our strength. We would this morning, all without exception, who are tried and troubled, take up the place of sitting still, leaving with quiet acquiescence everything 
in your hands, God. O great helmsman, you shall steer the ship and we will not be troubled. By your grace, we will leave everything most sweetly in your hands. And I love the way he closes this prayer. Where else should these things be left? And we will take up the note of joyous song in anticipation of the deliverance which will surely come. Let's rejoice in the joy that's set before us. Amen.